Elvis, 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 Hello and welcome to Elvis has left the movies. Here we are at episode two. We're just going to jump right into it. We are talking about 1957's Loving You. And I am once again uh, your host Matt with my co-host Morgan. Hi everybody. My name is Morgan Kegashange. I'm here with Matt to talk to you about Elvis's long drawn out extensive career as an actor. And we're kind of going through his discography, if you will, and dissecting his performances. And also his roles in movies, what they say about him and his career. We're also going to talk about his co-host, directors of the movies, what they've done, where they've been, and just kind of all manner stuff. And of course, also, we're going to talk about the music. Yes, just a little bit of a thing. So Love Me Tender is Elvis Presley's second movie. Loving You. And Loving You, sorry, is elvis's second movie and this is the movie when i first watched it it was painfully obvious that the studio or the manager of elvis presley was like all right i got it i know what i want the next 31 movies to look like yes (laughs) there will be exceptions but for the time being this is the template so let's talk about the template because we didn't do that in the first podcast because... Right, because Love Me Tender did not fit the template. No, absolutely not. It was doing its own thing. That was like a weird clash. Of, it was like two movies clashed together. It was the Elvis part of it and then we're doing like a post-Civil War Western thing. Yes. And that didn't quite mesh together. <laughs> so in this movie, the the greatest thing that they did was they picked a believable freaking plot for Elvis to play as a character in. Mm-hmm. So Elvis in this movie is some bum who carts around liquor and bottles all day he's a delivery man yes he's a delivery guy and uh he ain't got no money and he's all broke and he's kind of washed up or whatever just trying to get by but he has a unique voice and a good stage presence and this aging couple duo like they've been in the music scene for a while but they've never gotten their big break mm-hmm. and she's the manager and he's the musician they find this young kid who's got this magical voice and they say okay well we want you on tour with us you're gonna help us all get to fame and fortune through your voice and stuff and elvis is like i don't want to do that because i'm a little baby boy and wait 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 i've never done that before mister i, I don't know if i can <laughs> Yeah, he's literally like, I just want a simple life on the farm, (laughs) which uh, Elvis Presley does not want. Of course. Actually. But anyway, that's the gist of the movie. It's the first role that Elvis gets that's believable. Elvis's name in this movie is Deke Rivers. Yes. Deke Rivers, a name that he steals from a gravestone. We didn't touch on this in the first episode, but we will be breaking down the different names. So the first movie, he was Clint Reno. Which is, I mean, like I said, he was technically a, a historical figure or whatever. Right. But this time, this is from this point on, like he is playing. They're just coming up with names for him. And in this one, he is Deke Rivers. And we'll get into the plot of it because there's a second name that he also goes under technically. Yes. Yeah. So who directed this movie and who are the major players besides Elvis Presley? Cool. So this time, Elvis is Big name, right above the title. This is starring Elvis Presley. This is a full Elvis movie. They're not introducing Elvis, not co-starring. Elvis is the main attraction. Uh, and this is a Paramount Pictures release because he had signed a contract with Paramount Pictures. So this is the first one he makes with that studio. 
uh, came out July 9th, 1957, and it is directed by Hal Cantor, who has uh, interesting filmography. Mostly, he was a writer, especially a comedy writer. He wrote for, like, Bob Hope and stuff. Hmm. Uh, most noteworthy of all is that he was a contributing writer for the Oscars, the ceremony, the Academy Awards ceremony, from the 35th Academy Awards all the way to the 80th, wow. which is a career spanning 1963 all the way to 2008. Like, wow. right before he died. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. And he directed this film, so... Okay. It seems to be like, are we going to get into Elvis movies where instead of having these strange one-off directors, they start to give him like directors that know how to do stuff. I know we're coming up with King Creole. Yes. It's going to be one. There's there's definitely always interesting cinematographers. We, this one has one as well, which we'll get to. Right. And there are some interesting directors. There's a few directors. I think there's one director who had, who out of the 31 films, I think he directed them in six. So we actually were going to have some returning directors. And we'll see if there's like an evolution between that uh, that team up, if they get better working together or who knows. Right. So um, that's the director. Mm-hmm. The cinematographer is, I missed the name. Uh, I didn't say it yet. It's all good. Right. Uh, also, yeah. So the last film was black and white. This is a full color, technicolor, so much color movie. Yes. A lot of color actually in this movie. We're going to talk about costumes. We're going to talk about what is Elvis's best outfit. Yes. Because there's a lot of outfits. <laughs> Yep. Uh, but yes, cinematographer of this film is Charles Lang Jr. This might be the heaviest hitter. I don't know. We'll have to see as we get along. He had 18 Oscar nominations for cinematography. Wow. And he won one. He won his first when he was still young and up and coming for 1932's A Farewell to Arms. Oh. Other noteworthy works that he worked on, 1954's Sabrina with Audrey Hepburn. Oh, I really do like that movie. Some Like It Hot in 1959. Very cool. And this one is interesting. Watch me bring this all the way around. He also did the cinematography on 1956's The Rainmaker, which we didn't bring up last time, but technically that was a movie that Elvis was up for, he auditioned for, uh, which he would have been with uh, Burt Lancaster and Catherine Hepburn. Like, this would have been a big deal. Wow. But they passed on him. They gave it to Earl Holloman instead, who's a fantastic actor, and I know most from the pilot episode of Twilight Zone. Right. Um... Oh man, my brain's doing that thing. I'm just going off now, but yes. <laughs> so the cinematographer knows his stuff. Yes, that's what we're getting to. <laughs> right, okay, I see. So Elvis is the main star. Yes. Uh, then we have his main co-host, the older musician and publicist. Yes, we'll start with uh, Elizabeth Scott. Okay. She plays the main, she's the one who's really driving the plot forward. Yeah, she really is. Like this movie is on her. Yes. Like she is carrying this movie on her fucking back. Oh, yes. And you'll probably not surprised to know that she was like a classic film noir femme fatale. I'm not surprised at all. She's got that smoky voice. Like, if there's anyone that's more suited, I I don't know. She. I also want to say, we're going to get into costuming in a bit, and I'm going to talk about her character and the costuming there. Mm-hmm. But I also just want to say, you can tell that she knows how to put herself in front of a camera. There's something about, there's like a, there's an experience there that, again, not to dig too hard into Elvis, he does a much better job in this movie than he does in his first movie. Yes. Um, you can tell he's like finally kind of been broken in by having a giant fucking camera on you. But this woman is much more experienced in just knowing what to look like when a camera is on you and it's painfully obvious when she's alone next to elvis like elvis kind of tends to do this thing in his movies which i think is 
less about him character acting and more about him not being able to get rid of this kind of personal tick where he doesn't quite look in the right direction. He's always kind of looking like at the ground or off to the side. He's not like really engaging fully almost with the other actors and actresses. Yeah. And I think they're trying to sell this kind of sultry, somber kind of dude. They're trying to tell you that Elvis is like sly a little bit, but it's not working. No. <laughs> because what it looks like is him not being able to hold his own in front of the camera with these more experienced artists. Just throwing that out there because I got to get my digs in. That's true. Yeah. So there's going to be equal bashing and praising of things in all of these movies. Yeah, she, she handles herself really well. And I think she handles herself even better than the male actor beside her, her partner in crime there. What's his name? I will just finish with Lisbeth Scott just to mention that relatively small filmography, actually, only 22 films. Oh, wow. Um, and this one, like, she she had almost decided to retire. This is, which is just, well, should we get into a whole thing about, like, actresses in Hollywood? Because, oh, my God, we could. Yeah, let's do it. Let's take a minute. Because, like, in here, she's older. She's an older woman. She's still yeah. gorgeous. But, I mean, oh, she looks, she's... She looks drop-dead gorgeous. She's exceptionally styled. Mm -hmm. Her costuming is on point. And her costuming is actually... I, w I won't say it's the greatest costume designing ever, but they were really aware. You have to understand, before Audrey Hepburn, there wasn't a sense of a designer working with an actress to achieve a character look mm -hmm. that wasn't something that was supremely prevalent in film it happened on occasion if you got the budget for it and you got the means for it but the understanding and concept of designers and costumers working very closely with actors to convey a character is not prevalent until after audrey hepburn comes along and does a couple of things so that her costume for this kind of B-movie was really on point for her character is actually not just on point in that, like, it's appropriately styled. She wears a lot of, like, she wears bright, flashy clothes. They're not too flashy, mind you. They're just kind of a little above what a woman of her age would wear, which makes sense because she's a publicist. Yes. And her job is to push the kind of glam attitude, right? It's to really sell the idea. So they did a great job with her costuming and they really did not do a great job with the costuming of the other girl that worked alongside her in this movie. They really just put her in whatever 1950s new look dress they had available and they could have taken that young girl's dress and given it to any of the other young girls that were in this movie and you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference you could not have done that with her costume so like she was a fucking powerhouse in this movie and like nobody seemed to give a crap <laughs> that's true and like here's here's this is gonna bum you out she only made one other film after this wow that's a shame and it was year it was decades later she was in the 1972 movie pulp with michael Caine. that's just a shame because she really did do a good job she's great like hats off to her she 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 made that movie watchable <laughs> for sure 
So, yeah, the the movie industry is not kind to women, man. You reach a certain age and... And you're done. You're just... it's It sucks. Yeah, you're just gone. You're done or you have to transition into being the mother or the grandmother, if we're going to say. Or the, or the evil... Yes. You have to be the evil girl in the movie, right? And for some reason, anytime there's an older woman, especially in media of yesterday, you know, if you're an, if you're like above 40, you're like, eh, I'm nefarious and cruel. You're a crone. And, yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so bad. God. But yes. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. We digress. Taking a moment to remember those who have fallen for us <laughs> so that we may have better women in movies. As we will do, I'll go throw in recommendations all over the place of other movies to watch other than this movie. And if you want to see some classic Elizabeth Scott film noirs, please seek out the 1947 movie Dead Reckoning with Humphrey Bogart. Ooh, I'm going to watch that. The 1950 movie Dark City with Charlton Heston. (gasps) She was in Dark City? Yes. Oh my God. Not the one you might be thinking of, which was the 1998 Alex Proyas film that was also called Dark City. I don't know if that's the one I'm thinking of. There are two dark cities. Do not confuse the two. Okay. Yes. Got it. Dead Reckoning, Dark City. Yeah, like, I, I'm going to push this too. If you like Elvis movies, I guarantee you that you like noir movies. There, there's got to, you know, people don't go back really and like sit through a lot of old time kind of movies, mm-hmm. which these would be considered now, unless they can kind of really enjoy the atmosphere and the feel of them. So noir movies is a really great place for you to go to to see these women in real action. The style of how we portray women in movies as femme fatales and as characters who drive agency with their own character forward, it's it's very different and it's really, really worth checking out. Just as a like an aside, I know we're kind of going on this tangent, but like women showing agency for their characters in movies, progressing the plot forward, taking steps to ensure their needs are met, that they get what they want. That was a relatively new outlook for women in movies with femme fatales, because at the time it was really seen as not outrageous, but like unbecoming of a woman to be desirous of power and conviction and control. So exploring women's place in film, starting with femme fatale and noir movies, is a really cool place to start. It's going to annoy you because they still treat these women like crap in these movies. Oh, yes. We talked about it last episode. There's there's, there's always they're always slapped, being pushed, slapped around yeah, slapping and, and, pushing yep. shoving talking down to dismissing all that kind of stuff and despite that in all of these femme fatale movies they're almost always given a type of power that men can't get a hold of yes which is a very interesting thing to go back and discover through film what that said about the communities that women lived in and how that translates into the films we watch with women in them now what role do we give women in movies what kind of power do we give them in movies where does that all come from it's it's all connected man it is very interesting this is an ellis podcast but really we're talking about freaking everything we're talking about we're talking about it all man the entire hollywood system (laughs) we're gonna dismantle it oh yes for you guys because it it will i think that's appropriate though because elvis movies do represent the kind of insidious underbelly that was hollywood Mm -hmm. and how it took advantage of young attractive people like it it had no qualms about picking up chewing up 
and spitting out these people for profit. And that is not different in today's society unless you're really into indie films. <laughs> like, yes. if you are still really into big Hollywood box office movies, the monster that is Hollywood is still being fed by the same food, which is young, attractive people who do not have the ability to fight these monstrous institutions that tell the world, no, this is what these people are. These actors are like this. I love me a superhero film, but that that is capital number one. Yeah. A whole thing. The entire yep. Marvel of it all. You know what, though? Let's draw some parallels. Sure, let's do it. Superhero movies today, having 13 movies about the freaking Avengers. I haven't watched any of them, by the way. I've never watched an Avenger movie. I have seen them all. <laughs> Full disclosure. That's fine. But like having 13 movies about the Avengers and then plus like seven or eight side character movie spin-offs and then having the DC universe capitalize on that too. That is as much the crazy wacky world of hollywood as elvis presley getting 31 movies mm -hmm, for sure right that's the same animal you know so we'll sit here and we'll be like i can't believe that that happens and then you go and watch eight movies about thor's hammer and loki's freaking queer baiting it's not so <laughs> Morgan, please. It's a scepter. It's a scepter. <laughs> We're going to talk about queer baiting with um, Jailhouse Rock. We're going to talk a lot about queer baiting in Jailhouse Rock. Ooh, ooh, yes. It's going to get really wild. We shall get to that. Uh, so, <laughs> back to... Yes. We digress. We've done our tangent about our women. There are other people in this movie, so other than... Yes, we're done talking about Elizabeth Scott. Who's fantastic. We're done talking about Elvis Presley. Let's talk about the other male lead character, the cowboy. Yes. So The old washed up cowboy. Who is Rex or Dex? Yeah, no, Rex. He's Rex. Okay, I thought so. He's Rex. Who's played by Rex when... Rex Marksley. Anyway, go ahead. Who's played by uh, Wendell... Corey, who is probably i knew like i was watching the movie and i was like where do i know this guy from he's got one of those yeah i know him from somewhere too and you probably know him from the same one he plays jimmy stewart's best buddy detective thomas doyle in rear window which was two years before this oh no three years ah i see and that was it because he looks like i mean it's pretty much the same it was the few years prior but i was like oh this guy i see and he's kind of playing the similar role here also just want to point out to any of you listeners, if you've ever been considering naming your baby Wendell, do yourself a favor and don't. <laughs> don't name your kid Wendell. What kind of name is that to name a person? Wendell. Yes. Especially a guy. Wendell. That is, it's it's unfortunate. And this is the thing is, these people are actors, so you can pick a stage name. Like, that is a thing yeah, that you, you can, can do. <laughs> Yeah, you can pick a name. You don't have to be Wendell. But this man, you know what? I'll give him credit here, though. He, he was proud. He's Wendell Corey, and he stuck to it. Yeah, good for him for owning it. Yeah, and he's great. Him and Elizabeth Scott, because the, there's multiple scenes where Elvis is not even in the picture and it's just them trading barbs. Yeah, it's just them. That's the good stuff. They do a good job. Yeah, yeah they do a good job, but Elizabeth Scott still owns the camera. Yes. I will say. Uh, but you can tell, too, that Wendell Corey has some experience. He's kind of he's comfortable in front of the screen mm -hmm. you know he knows how to do the whole song and dance approach right whereas love me tender had to be more dour and serious this movie is a lot of fun there's a lot of comedy in this movie yeah which i appreciate they take some liberties which i think is absolutely the appropriate route to take when you're designing a movie where elvis is supposed to sing in front of a camera six or seven times like i think that all elvis movies should be taken with a grain of salt 
And the ones that fail are the ones that don't do that, right? Yes. That's what I think. Even um, even King Creole, I'm suddenly remembering now everything that I forgot about King Creole. Didn't it end like really sadly on some docks and whatever? There was, yeah. That one goes for... Look at that one going back to film noirs. That's the closest we're going to get to like an actual... An Elvis film noir. Yeah. It's not quite... It's very noir-esque. Gosh, it, you know... It's also really interesting just to think about like each Elvis movie, you know, there's a formula, there's a really structured formula about each Elvis movie, but there are a lot of Elvis movies that come out of left field to do some really strange things. That's true. And I get the feeling that it was a lot of stuff that they wouldn't have allowed people in bigger budgeted movies to do. You know, they let Elvis get away with doing and saying some things on a screen that they probably wouldn't have if they had been paying him a couple extra hundred thousand dollars. It's very possible. Yeah. I don't know. And you get that in the movies too. Like that's why we talk about it's it's interesting to watch these movies and their behavior towards women especially because when you don't pay people the extra hundred thousand dollars, they let slip what they really think about what's going on in the world or what their personality is. There's a sense, a style that kind of creeps through because they haven't been able to scrub that off with the extra $100,000, right? So if you want to see some glimpses of old time society, you know, you can't get everything from a movie, but there's some things that you can see in almost all of Elvis Presley movies that mm, it's not good. Indeed. And you can see them a lot in this movie. I think that's because they took such a, a lackadaisical approach to the subject matter. They were really like, oh, it's all in good fun. Yes. You know, like, I think that's where you start to see a lot of it. For sure. We got two more noteworthy people that I want to talk about. Okay. Well, actually three. I have no idea here. But specifically, there's the other main draw, and we're going to talk about her more in King Creole because she's one of the few ladies who's in more than one Elvis movie. I was just going to say, is she a returning actor for an Elvis movie then? She is. She has a much bigger role and is there's much more to do in King Creole. And we're going to get into whole, her whole thing because her story is actually very fascinating. But for now, I'll just say Dolores Hart plays... Why didn't I... Man, this shows where my progress is at. I didn't list these people's names, their character names <laughs> from the movie. I don't remember her name. She, she is the girl who is not Elizabeth Scott. Yeah, she's the girl. They try to do like a love triangle-y thing. Like obviously... Yeah. Which is weird. But... Uh, We'll get into the plot of it all. Yeah, we'll get into the plot. For now, I'll just say Dolores Hart is in this. She's part of the band. She sings songs too. Uh, she wears little like polka dot dresses and things. And she's very uh, the wholesome. Wholesome county girl. Yes. Just a simple girl. Doesn't want no trouble from nobody. And uh, I want to highlight the fun side character of this movie. Last time I was talking about Jethro. Yep. This time I'm talking about Skeeter. Oh my God. Skeeter, played by Paul Smith, uh, another great character actor bit part. He has 105 acting credits. Holy jeez. And in the same year, 1957, he was in a creature feature called The Deadly Mantis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's fabulous. But Skeeter has a bird named Matilda. He's the best character in the movie as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a whole thing with him. I remember. There's like a scene that literally opens. Like we're, we're doing another scene and then it cuts like a hard cut. And 
oh my god did i have did i write the quote down somewhere aren't they didn't they try to use this bird as a metaphor for elvis presley and the it was this really weird meta you could definitely read into that there probably was some stuff in there it was this movie was super meta because they're talking about how like producers and agents and people take advantage of of young up-and-coming artists and they're like showing you this imagery of a bird in a cage and what it needs to be free and and all this nonsense mm-hmm. and it's like so hypocritical yes because right? elvis more than most people is like the ultimate example of like the manager just doing everything fucking them in the ass well yes Let's not tiptoe around it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, Elvis got fucked in the A by this guy. It's hard for people to understand. I I think maybe we don't talk about managers a lot and um, agents a lot in in movies or in media. So we don't get a sense of it. But like Elvis's manager was pretty bad. Like he wasn't a nice guy. No, he's like one of the worst. He's the archetypal like bad manager. Yeah. Like I'm not like when I think about Elvis dying as a result of drug use you know the manager had some influence over that situation you know there's no situation under i think which the manager could not have known the degree to which elvis was on drugs or did not have a hand in keeping that situation afloat right for sure i guarantee you that there was probably times where he was like elvis is easier to deal with and to get him to sign shit if he's coked up so here's some quaaludes or whatever exactly i wouldn't be fucking surprised right i would not be surprised just saying tonal whiplash i found the quote so we we went from one scene and then there's skeeter holding his birdcage going you dirty bird <laughs> yeah was, oh, hilarious stuff man. just strange Great. there's a the part where the the other members of the band are having a little poker night and yep he's talking to uh his bird matilda and he's showing her his cards and being like what do you think we gotta it's very strange skeeter is delightful yeah real strange so those are the main characters you have the girl elvis's girl uh you've got elvis you have lisbeth scott you have rex the cowboy and you've got skeeter and you've got i think there's a few more like people in the band kind of hanging around that they travel with rex and they play in his band or whatever Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna go through the plot as quickly as possible because i don't want this to run on too long but basically elvis gets picked up by this um agent and her aging cowboy (laughs) and neither of them are very successful in the music industry and they decide to take this guy on and try to get themselves up and running off of his talent because wait when we first see them where are they at they are working for this governor yeah they're working for a governor this dopey governor dude they're trying to run his campaign and no one likes this guy yeah no one likes him and they're playing cowboy music to kind of sate the crowd and nobody's really into it and they're like oh this is dumb so she nixes that agreement with the governor and is like see ya buddy we're gonna go out onto the highway or whatever and she kind of goes up to Zeke Rivers at this point and is like, you're either in or you're out. We're leaving tomorrow. And he loses his job. And I think it's because of her. Yes, it's revealed that comes in later on. He's like, oh, I was sacked this morning. So I have, I guess I got nothing to tie me down. I will join you guys. Yeah, yeah. And it was all part of her Machiavellian plan. Yeah, it was all part of the scheme. Again, seeing this 
this woman is making the plot happen in this movie, right? Elvis is just along for her ride. Mm -hmm. So um, they get him to sing songs. He starts to get really popular. They set him, they start getting him to open the shows and be the main attraction and stuff. They buy him his own guitar because there's a recurring bit part where he keeps breaking the dude's strings and the guy's like, we're going to get you your own guitar. Yeah. And um, then they get into trouble because they there's some power structures happening in the group that elvis isn't happy about they're getting they want him to do a lot of stuff they want him to kind of like dress up and play this character and, and do this song and dance about a personality mm-hmm. and zeke rivers is like no i'm just a simple young charming boy from the hills of alaska and i just want to be free and relax and chill out or whatever and i don't want to wear no glitzy cowboy outfits because i think that's silly and dumb and they're like, all right, you know, we don't like that, but what can you do? A boy's going to do what a boy's going to do. So in response to that, this chick starts laying it on. She starts being like, ooh, Deke, if you do this cowboy outfit, everyone will really like you, yes. including me, Deke. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he's real into it. He's like, isn't he into it? I think he was into it at first. Well, yeah, because we get, there's... We're jumping around because there's a lot of montages. It's like the classic Rise and Fall, so we don't really have to talk about the specifics so much because it's a pretty generic, like, yeah, fame story thing, like a cautionary tale. Um, but it all climaxes with there's like this scene at a graveyard where he does this big reveal and he no, talks no, about before his before that though. There's stuff before that. Sure, I just want to say where he's his motivations, where he's coming from, and why he like buys into all this is because of his like he is you know, a boy who's looking for his place in the acceptance world. and stuff. And yes, he's, yeah, he's got all this motivation and he thinks he's found it in his, in his agent. Mm-hmm. And she's just putting on a song and dance. She's actually in love with Rex, the cowboy. They have like this, they're divorced. Yes. They were married. They're divorced. They're separated. There's this whole, like, yeah. but they're still obviously, Which, that's also really interesting. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that later, sure. but, um, so she's, playing him along stringing him along trying to give him a sense of love and she's taking advantage of his young tender boyish heart to get him to do what she wants right and um at the same time this is happening there's this other girl who's like really gentle and sweet that plays songs and does the thing too yes but he's not interested in her because he thinks he's found what he wants in this in this lady uh, then they go to a show and he beats up some dude and kisses <laughs> some girl in his cabin. Right, right, and... right. I can I can elaborate a bit more if you don't Yeah, mind. he starts Just getting to... into Elvis Presley trouble. Yes. And the movie wants us to all really know and understand that Elvis Presley isn't actually the kind of guy you think of is sure he gets into fights and is inappropriate with his lady fans and shakes his hips around a lot Mm -hmm. but don't worry because at the end of it all he's really just a homegrown nebraska boy (laughs) yeah they arrive at some venue and we start focusing on this particular group of teens that are super excited that deke is in town to do a show yeah uh and then he's with skeeter at this diner yes just having a meal and then wayne the boyfriend of this one girl who's who's like oh that's him that's deke rivers he's like oh that guy he doesn't look like he doesn't look like tough shit so he walks up and starts you know 
egging them on, and then they get into a big old brawl in this diner. Yeah, right in the middle of the diner. Just a big punch out, which is going to happen a lot in Elvis movies. Yeah, I want to Yeah, make a note of that. Like, people, be prepared to see how acceptable the general populace thought it was for young boys to just beat the shit out of each other mm-hmm. at any given time. Like, obviously, it wasn't totally acceptable, but you've got to understand that when movies frame a sort of deviation from social culture and present that in a way that's normative in the films that's because there is some aspect to it that is normative if it was absolutely out of place for people to get into fights and to get into brawls it wouldn't be a normal happenstance in a b movie it wouldn't be a normal happenstance in an elvis movie picture a movie today where two teenagers like 18 year olds got into a serious fist fight at a bar over a girl and how like how messed up that would be in a movie to see it normalized that two young guys would really really hurt one another physically yes in a bar you know and they're wrecking diner stuff they're they're wrecking stuff they're destroying property they're breaks the sugar container and throws it in their eyes it's some dirty fire yeah like it's really bad stuff and it's framed in this movie as kind of a you know must be done kind of thing but picture a movie today where that happens it would almost certainly be associated with drug addiction if you watched a movie today and they were like these guys are out of control and they're getting into fights you would almost see in response to that as part of the movie another facet of their lifestyle that was out of control like a drug addiction or alcoholism or destructive family home abuse stuff like that like people know now that that kind of behavior in public is as a result of private behavior like those two facets of your lifestyle are enmeshed Mm -hmm. so when you see this shit happening in old movies they don't tell you that but you know it so you know that when they're doing this as part of regular society what they're also saying without meaning to what they're saying is life was really really actually super messed up back then because it was normal to some extent for a young guy to go into a bar and really beat the crap out of another guy. Yes. And this happens in a lot of Elvis movies. Yes. A lot of Elvis movies, he beats somebody up. Badly, he beats somebody up. In several of these movies, Elvis goes to jail. (laughs) (laughs) So just keep that in mind when you're watching these movies because it's fascinating stuff. It is. But yeah, they play it up like they're leaning into like the goofiness of it, even though of course yeah. it's not. He punches the dude into the jukebox. The jukebox starts playing a song. Yeah, the jukebox starts playing a song by Elvis. <laughs> what the hell was that? That was so great. Yes. Um, yeah. We also cut to reaction shots of the girlfriend while the fight's gone, and she's really into it too. Like we. <laughs> yeah, she's like excited that she started this fight. Yeah. And wants to start trouble, and that's another theme that runs throughout these movies of of the troublemaker girl and what she looks like, mm-hmm. and how it's all her fault that this chaos has erupted because of her womanly desires. And, yes. Oh my god. The exact halfway point of the movie is is her sneaking into Deke's dressing room. Yep. And then uh, she's like, oh, you're not going to give me a kiss? And he's like, I don't want to kiss you, lady. And then she's like, oh, you're chicken? And then this whole thing. Anyways, and then, of course, uh, Elizabeth is coming in. She's, she's talking to some other manager people. She's got an interviewer. Someone's going to come in to interview Elvis. They open the door and, oh, my God. 
He's locking lips. In the arms of one of his female fans. His first on-screen kiss. Oh. Because there was none in Love Me Tender, so yeah. That's correct. That's right. So I think at this point, too, they had already started to, like, uh, parents had started to... Yeah, there's, like, a boycott of... Riot against Elvis. They were, he, he got in the fight. Yes. Right? He got in the fight, and they were like, uh, I don't think so. Not in my young girl's town uh excuse me and then the news of the kiss broke out and people were like rah 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 and they were going to cancel him yeah it's like the front page of the newspaper yeah of course the tabloids are all over it then deke gets a red car from some sugar mama they they want to like spin right this is once again this is more of elizabeth um pulling the strings though she spins a story that there's this like wealthy widow yeah that Deke reminds her of her son. It's like the son she never had, so she gives him this car. But in fact, they just bought this car and they made up the story of how this car came to be. Right. To keep him close, to keep the narrative running and everything. Yeah. So they catch him in the dressing room. They take photos of him and he doesn't like this. No. He's upset, actually. He's like, I don't like that you guys are spinning this, you know, character archetype about me. And the kiss in the... In the um, dressing room was his like fight back against that he was like you want me to play a little song and dance for you well here's your song and dance that'll make you lots of money for your newspapers won't it and that's where shit starts to get really cynical yes because it's this thing that we all know about hollywood and they just come right out and say it like they have no qualms about what they think is the real true face of hollywood and just showing it to you they're like yeah this is just how it is man really bizarre so he gets upset about this and he actually runs away he takes his hot rod car he runs away she goes to find him and he's like i don't want to do any of this stuff i don't want to do these things and she's trying to convince him she's like well i love you and you can do it for me and then she smooches him and um he i think i'm getting it mixed up a bit but anyway at that time he brings her to a graveyard whoa, whoa, whoa yes actually you did jump ahead of it i just want to mention yeah because rex is also doing his own thing yes yeah throughout this and he so he sees what's happening of course and he he feels sorry for elvis's character and doesn't want for deke and everything he he doesn't want to he knows what his better half does yeah <laughs> to, to stars and things and how this all works and how she's manipulating him so he convinced he's the one who convinces deke to go susan is the name of dolores hart's character there it is. yes there we go susan susan why don't you spend a few days at her farm go get out of there go hang out with her family the wholesomeness the farm life that's right um which actually was one of my favorite shots of the movie uh, they did a really good job i remember also watching the scene when they overlooked the farm and it, it's very pretty it's really gorgeous it was very pretty yeah so yeah, they're hanging out there and then there's that's that's when they have the whole development of him and Susan and they're getting close and the fame is all like, sing us a song. And this is in fact where he sings the title track. Because up to this point, he's been like the rockabilly dude doing like, we ha- yeah, we haven't even gone to the music. We'll get to the music. Yeah. Um, but he sings the ballad and she's like, oh, Deke, I never knew you could sing like that. And he's like, I never felt this way before. This is <laughs> this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then eventually, of course, Elizabeth shows up. She knows she's just like, "What the heck? What are you doing here?" Yeah, you got to get back to work. We got to get back to the show. And so then you can continue. They bring him. That's when they have the graveyard scene. Yeah, he brings her to the graveyard, and he says, "I never wanted this whole alternative lifestyle. What I wanted was to be accepted and to be like wanted as I was." 
but nobody wanted me and my real name was thomas whatever the heck jimmy tompkins jimmy tompkins jimmy tompkins little jimmy tompkins so nobody wanted jimmy tompkins he was an orphan right he lived in an he orphanage was in, yeah he ran away from the orphanage yeah and he went to a graveyard and he picked a name and he said mm-hmm. nobody wanted jimmy thompson but somebody wanted deke rivers yes so i'm gonna be deke rivers and i'm gonna make a name for myself that way and i'm gonna live my life that way blah blah blah. what blah. a wild twist wow yeah I will say, like, one thing you'll notice about Elvis movies is that they really seem to feel the need to really full tilt into a plot. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, this happens and this happens and this happens. Like, it's got a lot of, all Elvis movies have a lot of plot points that it's just like, man, why can't you just watch it? Like, can't you just write like a simple eight point story? Because this thing's like 100 minutes and we're fitting seven musical numbers while at the same time we're just really doing all this extra work anyway she's like you can do it deke or whatever and then they start like a broadcasting program to try and convince people that deke rivers is not the mean bad boy that he is but is actually a really sweet gentle guy and that's when they start getting all the fans up onto the tv to say deke rivers didn't start that fight it was the other guy Mm -hmm. and then the girl came up and she i'm pretty sure even like the bad girl came up and she was like it was a dare that i came in to get him to kiss me and blah 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 i just wanted to do it for the dare and then susan gets on and she's like deke rivers is the gentlest softest boy in the world and i love him Blah, blah, blah. And then Elvis is like, well, what do you know? There's a place for me in the world after our, yes. and it's on the farm. <laughs> well, he, he drives off. He drives off. There's, there's another argument. He, and then he like drives off the road. We have like a scare. We're like, oh no, did he crash? No, he's fine. Yeah. He just kind of drove, <laughs> drives off the road because there was like a cow on the road. I don't know. And then, yeah, Elizabeth finds him again. And then she's all like, you might still have a future. And she rips up the contract, right? She does the whole like. Yeah, she rips up the contract. You're free. We'll, we'll figure it out on your own terms and whatever. Anyways. And that's, yeah, we keep cutting back to the show because of course they're all working up to him appearing on stage, but he's not there. And actually when Susan does her whole thing of like, he's the, she's like, you know what? And then she like pulls aside this like uh, whiteboard that was blocking away. And she's like, he's not even here right now. And everyone's like, oh my God. But then of course he conveniently chooses that exact second to show up. So then he gets to yeah. go on the stage and do the song. He sings Loving You again. Yep. And everyone's like, oh, this was great. Hurrah. And then yeah. they renegotiate things. Cause then he's like, you know what? After all this, I still want you guys to be my managers and, and we'll figure this out together. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, he gets his kiss with Susan and and, and Elizabeth then and Rex and Lisbeth. They get to get their time as well. Settle their differences, yeah. And that's the end of the story. Everyone lived happily ever after. Yeah. So I want to talk about a few things. I really want to talk about the portrayal of a divorcee in this movie. Go off, yeah. It is a really interesting thing to see that in this movie, they portray the divorcee as somebody who is codependent with her husband. So despite the fact that they've been divorced, they're still on exceptionally good terms. They are friendly, compatible. They communicate well with one another. And for all intents and purposes, they behave in a way that a married couple would. The difference is that this woman is allowed to exert authority and control over her decision-making because she doesn't have to stop and ask her husband that she can. Yeah. When when Rex is like, 
I don't know if that sounds like a good idea. She's basically like, that's why I divorced you (laughs) and does whatever the fuck she wants. And I think that's really interesting because it portrays women as being allowed to have authority and agency in their decision making, but only under a certain set of social rules. You can't behave towards your husband like this so you can be divorced. And at the end of the movie, obviously, you get back together with your husband because divorce is outrageous. Sure. Right? She couldn't... It, it couldn't have been that her and Rex stayed divorced. There couldn't have been an understanding about the boundaries of their relationship as divorced individuals. They had to tell you. They had to show you that where they belong was together as a married couple. And I think that's incredibly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no for sure not in the good way mind you but it, it, it's whenever you see women in films especially old films where they talk about them in social structures that were really looked down upon at that time in the 1960s to divorce somebody was still a really big deal even today to divorce somebody in our in our current atmosphere it's still kind of a big deal you know you've got a lot of right-wing um political bodies that are like no 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 divorce you know mm-hmm. if you think about like classically abby and um those two bible thumping blonde girls i can't remember what their names are but it's best not to name them. who cares yeah yeah. yeah probably best not to name them but you know that sect of um of the world that really really thinks that women are marriage candidates only their best grace on this earth is for them to be marriage candidates and divorce is a failure of a woman so like that still exists today you can only imagine what it was for a woman to get divorced then when a woman got divorced she failed her marriage when a man got divorced his wife failed their marriage right Mm -hmm. that was more often the rhetoric and for a woman to be on her own doing her own business you know that was really unseemly for women i'm just i'm surprised i was actually surprised to see it this early in an elvis film like i didn't think they were going to pull that out because it it was still such an unsightly rhetoric to even put in movies how many movies do you know from the 1960s that feature a divorced female lead that's true i can't not off the top of my head it's rare it's very rare you know you think and like they they there was ways that they would get around this in femme fatale movies you'll notice if you go back and watch those old noir movies women were never divorced never divorced always your husband had to die or go missing yes or you know be kidnapped or something crazy like that right never did a woman get divorced because she didn't have any control over her own situation and authority because she was married you didn't need to have control of your your own situation your husband did it for you which is why it's interesting to look at them in these 1940s 1930s movies and see them making decisions at their own behest they can't do it if they're married they have to be single or they have to their husband has to have died because divorce wasn't an option Now in the 60s, you see that divorce is an option, but she has to be a type of woman who's like, I'm going to work and I'm going to do these seedy things and I'm going to be evil-ish. 
Manipulative, yes. Yeah, very interesting, eh? Painting the uh, portrait of a woman on screen <laughs> featuring Elvis Presley. <laughs> I just realized, too, that I think we've... His name is Tex. We've been calling him We've been calling him Rex the whole time. He's actually Tex. Well, let's call him Rex, because Rex is a way cooler name. Sure, and just pretend that that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. Close enough. We didn't do it... Do Should we do a thing where, like, do we recommend whether this is worthwhile to watch? worthwhile to watch no i don't think so but this is definitely um if you were going to sit down and have to pick an elvis movie to watch this is one that you could get through like i don't think you could get through love me tender i think it just doesn't have the pulling power directorially even though it is a shorter film it does have slower pacing that's for sure yeah and just the way it's filmed i think is not conducive to the way a lot of people are going to be used to watching a movie whereas this elvis movie would be um it's not bad to watch it's not super cringy it's a little unbelievable sure um but you're gonna i don't you give me a movie you give me an elvis movie that's believable and i will shoot my foot off <laughs> because it doesn't exist that's true yeah i think there are like cooler movies to get indoctrinated through elvis though i don't think i would start with this one if you're gonna watch an elvis movie maybe tune in for a couple of more episodes sure and see what else is in store before jumping into this I have one a, yes i have a much better recommendation but we'll get to it when we get to it yeah and this is noteworthy is that even if you wanted to seek this out, it is on YouTube. You just got to try to look for it to find it. Someone put it up on YouTube. Yes. But otherwise, it is almost impossible to come by because although it's a Paramount release, they sold the rights to like NBC back in like the 70s or something. Wow. And so I don't think I mean, there was maybe a really short run of it being released on like DVD, but otherwise you can't find it. It's not streaming anywhere. Wow. So this is actually one of the harder to get. So we lucked out that it was on YouTube. Yes. There's actually a lot of free Elvis movies on YouTube. Yeah. At least, yeah, the first two films, you can find them. The first two are up, and there's also a few other ones. Fun in Alcapulco, I think, is on YouTube as well. Yeah. Just got to do some research. Look for it if you want to seek them out. Yeah. So I guess that's all. We're going to try. I think uh, keeping this wrapped up by 60 minutes is, is a good idea because I sure. think that's just too much for people to commit to listen to us talk about. No, Elvis that's fair. This movie is slightly longer hour. than the first movie. So I will allow us a few. I have. Uh, let me see if I have a few more things in my notes just that so we can quickly go over. Uh, we didn't talk about the songs. Oh, crap. We didn't talk about the songs. Let's do that first then before anything. Very else. quickly. Uh, the songs are Got a Lot of Living to Do. Let's Have a Party. Teddy Bear. Hot Dog, Lonesome Cowboy, Mean Woman Blues, and Loving You. I'm not going to, we're not going to do the breakdown, I think, this time of when they get played and for what reasons and everything like that. Yes, because there's just going to be more and more every movie, but like we jump from the four tracks of the first movie to seven tracks. Yeah, and I think that's about how much tracks are in Elvis movies generally. It's about seven. Yes. Right. We're trying to, you know, fit a full soundtrack album out. So the good songs in this movie are Let's Have a Party, Teddy Bear, and Loving You. That's what I think. Those are the good ones. Sure. I will throw in, uh, mostly for the way the sequence is shot. Yep. I love the setup to Lonesome Cowboy. Because we start, it's that, once again, we didn't talk about this in talk, but we did it a bit. But this is the other big shot I want to point out is that he's on stage alone. There's a single spotlight and it's just like, dark void around him and he's wearing like this purple outfit yes and it's a really striking image i really liked it yeah i so sh shout out to that they did do a good job they've they've seemed to have gotten instantly better at deciding what elvis is gonna look like in this movie as a singer and yes. not just as like a, a piece of furniture that's got to be put on set like they paid a lot more attention to portraying him 
as um, as, as a musician. Because it helps that the the first plot was literally like at odds with the singing. Yeah. Whereas this one is the singing is the main draw. This is about a, the concept of the singing. Yeah, it's all about it. Yeah. So that's the focus. Yes. And that's good. Uh, yeah. I otherwise would pretty much agree. I mean, mostly the best track is the title track. That's usually how these things go. Yeah, that's usually how it is. Um, but yeah, Hot Dog's fun. Teddy Bear is a big hit. I remember Teddy, Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear's a big hit. I like Teddy Bear way more than I like any of the other songs on this movie. So Teddy Bear is a really great, great hit. Yeah. I I have listened to Teddy Bear maybe more than 50 times. Uh, it's a great song. <laughs> I've sung Teddy Bear at karaoke. <laughs> Perfect. That's how you know. Yeah. It's, it's a keeper. Yeah. Uh, I know all the, the words to Teddy Bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I know all the words to Teddy Bear. Yeah. Well, Elvis songs, for the most part, are pretty simple lyrically. I mean, they, you know, they're... They're all pretty simple. They're, they're earworms. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, we got a bonus side character that I just wanted to briefly talk about just because I looked it up. Okay. So, the, we didn't talk about the inciting incident. Is it the bird? We No. Matilda's fantastic. I don't know anything about her. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, but the reason he gets up on stage at the beginning of the movie, that like the inciting incident, is because his buddy, who's also a delivery man with him named teddy is like oh you want a singer well my buddy deke is the best singer i know and then he's like oh come on teddy don't yeah stop talk- talking like that and then so teddy who looks like a weird cartoon character brought to life he's got one of those faces. he really does um you know what he looks he's... like <laughs> yeah go ahead he looks like a hoser <laughs> sure he definitely has that vibe i'll explain what a hoser is later for you people but go ahead matt yes so he's played by a guy named skip young this was his debut uh he's all he's got like a short career 19 credits but he is probably best known to people he played Wally Plumstead in the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet which was a, a sitcom for 122 episodes wow I haven't seen that so, so he was that guy he definitely played like the friend character yeah that's what I kind of mean when I'm talking about he looks like a hoser sure so for those of you who don't know we're Canadian and hoser is an old term from like our grandparents kind of use and it was used to describe a guy I heard it said two ways. A hoser is either the guy who like hoses down the ice rink and he's kind of like a bum because he can't do anything else but hose down the ice rink for us. Mm -hmm. A simple man. My grandfather told me a hoser is a guy who keeps bumming stuff off of you and he'll say, oh, can I borrow a couple of this? Can I borrow a couple of that? Do you mind if I take some gas out of your car with the hose? Like that's where that term comes from. And he looks like... Every like old white Canadian, he's got like a toque and a really round, chubby face and a kind of yes. round build, and he's really jovial and really friendly, and that's why you put up with the fact that he's always borrowing your shit. I am a hoser, actually. <laughs> I didn't look like one though, <laughs> but this guy, yeah, he like as soon as I saw him, I was like, that guy looks like a hoser. <laughs> it didn't help that they were like carrying around bottles of beer, yes, you know, <laughs> and they're like, hey, bring another, bring a case to the 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 governor's car, and you know, and all this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're looking, they're looking at his car, and they're being like, oh man, if I had me a ride like this, yeah, it's this whole. Yeah, yeah. It's a hoser for sure. So um, I guess that will conclude today's episode. I swear, one last point. There's, I've, nope. Quickly, quickly nope. I just want to point out there's actually two moments of foreshadowing for future Elvis movies as far as the titles of movies go. Oh. So in the scene with Tex and Glenda, oh yeah, we didn't even talk. So the, the manager, the manager played by Elizabeth Scott, her name is Glenda. Right. So they're having this thing where they're talking about Deke and the career and all that stuff. And this is right after Deke is caught kissing that girl in the, the dressing room. Right. Uh, the the newspaper headline says that's kissing cousin, 
and there's a future Elvis movie we will get to called Kissing Cousins. Ah, uh, yes, Kissing Cousins. And at one point, Glenda, because she's like, oh, you're being so altruistic, you're looking at his best interests all of a sudden, and she calls him Sir Galahad. And uh, Kid, Kid Galahad, Galahad is a future movie that's going to. Yeah. So there you go. I just figured it will end on that. I see. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Cool beans. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Elvis Has Left the Movies. Yes. Uh, and to that, we will say thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much.